Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. In your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So as we jump into our passage today, we need to keep verses 11 and forward in our minds that we're all equal in Christ. There is no distinction of value or equality in our identities. In Christ, we're all the same. And then Paul has these family rules says, I want, I want the peace of Christ to be the rule. Like an umpire calling what is a strike and calling what is a ball. Like, that is not good. Like, let the peace, let peace be the ruling of the day. Is it in accordance with peace? He said, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Is peace ruling? Is the word dwelling richly? And then he says, whatever you do in word or deed, like do it as a representative. Do it all in the name of Jesus. And then over and over and over, he says, thankfulness, thankfulness, thankfulness. And then he gets, he says, and the way, the first place that you live this out is at home. And last week we talked about wives and husbands, how Paul looks wives in the eye and say, though your culture does not esteem you, Though you are not seen as equal, I see you. God sees you as equal. And then he has instructions for wives and for husbands in a way that edifies both of them. And we're going to skip children and fathers today, children and parents today, because we thought it, it feels appropriate to talk about parenting on Father's Day. Here's my promise to you. I... This will not be a Father's Day. Next week will not be a Father's Day message that beats up fathers. Can we just like kind of call that out? Like if you're here, I feel like you're doing something cool. Um, The last thing that I want to have happen is if you show up and then you walk out on Father's Day feeling like you just had a bunch of rocks chucked at you. So I want Father's Day to be a day that fathers are blessed by, also challenged by, And walk out of here with their heads up saying, uh, I got this. And I can do this. Man, I love my kids. Okay? So that's that's kind of the picture that I want to paint um, toward next week. We're going to switch it up. And the, the tricky text of today comes in verse 22 all the way through the end of chapter 3. So let's read it. And then let's have a conversation. Colossians 3.22 says, Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Let's pray and jump in. 
Father, would you open our eyes to what you're saying here? Would you give us hearts and minds that want to understand, that, that, enter, into it, um, that enter into it wanting to know what you're saying, not just looking for ways to dismiss it? Help us to be humble and help us, um, help us to fight well for what you're really saying. Amen. So, Paul, Paul takes the conversation from wives and husbands, the family unit, to kids and fathers um, and mothers that we'll talk about next week, into bondservants and masters. And the reason he's doing it is because bondservants were considered part of the household. Okay? They, they weren't in the day considered... Um, people as much as property in the same way that wives were not considered people as much as property and kids were not considered people as much as property. Bond servants fall into this same category. And Paul, in this conversation, um, looks to wives and looks to children and looks to bond servants and he looks them in the eyes and he says, I want you to hear Colossians 3.11. We are all equal. That we are all equal. There is no hierarchy of value. In Christ, we are all equal. So, the question that we throw out right away is, who is Paul speaking to? He's speaking to members of the church at Colossae, right? So, in the church at Colossae, you've got members that Paul is speaking to who are bondservants. And you've got members of the church, uh, followers of Christ, who are masters, Right? He's speaking to believers. He's speaking to believers, and he has just said, I want you to know that you're all equal. There is not this kind of thing in human value. You're all equal. Now, there are two kinds of slavery, maybe three in the Bible. The first kind is what we see here. That the ESV translates bondservant. If you look to other translations, you might just see slave. Um, the ESV was real deliberate in saying this is a particular kind of slavery. This, this goes more the route of indentured service. So if I have a debt that I cannot pay, I can sell myself or I could sell my kids into service to pay the debt. When the debt is paid, there's freedom. Okay, So this is something that I put myself in because of bad circumstances, maybe bad choices, maybe not. But I am looking for a solution out of this problem. And so I enter a period of slavery um, so that I could dig my way out of a hole. Okay? That's one kind that's one kind of slavery. This is not a fun life, but it was an it was an economic reality in the day. There's a second kind of slavery that's uh, the King James calls man stealers, which is just uh, they're not mincing words. This is kidnapping, this is abducting, this is stealing people from their homes. Um, and the Bible, throughout its pages, condemns this kind of slavery. So um, 
kidnapping, abducting, man-stealing, however you want to call it, that kind of slavery is just denounced in the Bible. It is never okay. First uh, Timothy 1.10 uh, lists enslavers, depending on the translation you use, enslavers or slave traders or kidnappers as um, people in a group who are condemned. Exodus 21.16 says, Whoever steals a man and sells him, and anyone found in possession of him, shall be put to death. So the Bible's real clear on that kind of slavery. Now when we, when we enter into a conversation about slaves and masters, we have cultural baggage in our country, right? We don't deal in our country with indentured servitude. With somebody saying, I would like to put myself in your service, which is almost like the prodigal son coming home. Father, I'd like to work for you. I'm no longer allowed to be called your son. I want to work for you. And the father has none of that and welcomes the son home. That's indentured servitude. The slavery that we know in our nation is of the second kind and is disgusting, is horrible. And that anyone could ever attempt to or that anyone ever did, and still does, defend it using the Bible, shows their ignorance, shows um, a darkness of heart that is untrue, that God hates. That kind of slavery has no place in God's kingdom. And we just completely and utterly reject it. There was a third kind um, that was like POWs in war, if you were uh, battling nations, it, sometimes instead of uh, just killing the enemy, you could take them captive, and they would live a life of service that was a life. Um, and so that's different than abducting. That's different from kidnapping. Your nation's at war, and it's in a day long ago, far away, um, and just kind of what was going on. So when Paul talks in Colossians 3... He's talking about this first kind of slavery, which is a kind of a, a timed, working out of debt period of service that isn't fun, um, that wasn't highly regarded, that you were still looked at as property um, and not good. But Paul says, you're equal, you're a person, you have value. And now, by addressing the slave, by addressing the bondservant, Paul is doing something radical because nobody addressed bondservants. You would just talk to the master. You would just talk to, to him about his workers or his servants. But to, look, but to look a man or a woman in the eyes and say, I see you and I have words for you is remarkable. And Paul does that. So Paul says, Paul says to them, some hard words when we read it. Servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Paul is looking them in the eyes and he says, I see you. You're equal. You're human. You are not simply property and I want you to know it. And he says, 
and you can be responsible. Nobody looked at bond servants as people who could be responsible for they just obeyed kind of mindlessly. And Paul says, You're in the church. You follow Jesus. You're human on equal level. And just as I challenge everyone, I'm going to challenge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. To live a life. He echoes it like he just did up, uh, up a few verses higher. He says, whatever you do, word or deed, do it as a representative. Do it in the name of Christ. He kind of echoes that. And he says, I want you to live following Jesus. I want you to live Upright, And I don't want you to take your hard situation right now as an excuse to live poorly. You're going through a really hard time. You're in a bad station in life. And yet you can still follow Christ. Where you are, where you are, follow Christ. Don't think that your situation is an excuse uh, to live a dodgy kind of life. Well, Paul says, obey. And that's hard for us to hear in their situation. Why doesn't Paul say, this is a bad system. This is a bad system. Actually, go back and tell your master, you're equal in Christ, and you're no longer property to him. And then go free, because I think that could be justified. Paul doesn't do that. He does this shocking go back and obey. Part of what he's doing, I think, is uh, you can see it in other places, is he's saying, if you just go back and you say, I found Jesus, so shove off. Like, that very act is not following Jesus, right? That is not treating somebody well. As you follow Jesus, you have a responsibility as a citizen in the kingdom to follow him wherever you are. We see examples of this back even in the Old Testament. Um, And this isn't even, maybe even the same kind of slavery. Like you look at Joseph who was sold by his brothers. And yet he had the kind of character that said, I'm going to serve well where I am. And no matter what happened in his life, he was faithful to God. And he ended up as a slave being second in command in Egypt. It was incredible. Now, he went through prison and back all all over the place. But Joseph is an example of, of serving God where you are. That is nothing to say about the conversation of should he even, even been there in the first place. No, but he served where he was. You look at Daniel uh, in the Old Testament who was carried off to a different country. You might consider him a POW, maybe not. Um, He's a refugee, certainly. He's serving in a different country, and he's serving to the benefit of that king and that land, and God blesses him for it. There are examples in the Bible of wherever you are, (coughs) obey God. Wherever you are, obey God. So the Bible, the Bible, while it condemns man-stealing, while it condemns abduction, while it condemns slave trade, it doesn't actually ever come out forthrightly and condemn this indentured servitude kind of thing. 
because it was, I think, part of the economic reality of the day and was not meant to be, was not intended to be um, man and his property. It was intended to be a mutual kind of service. Paul, uh, Paul will go on. There's this fascinating uh, text in Romans 6 where Paul says, um, we're all slaves. Jesus says it himself. Jesus is talking with the Pharisees one day, and he says, look, anybody who sins is a slave to sin. Same word used. And Paul says, you used to live as slaves to sin, and now you're a slave to God. Which is a weird deal for us. Like, wait, I thought Jesus came for my freedom. He did. He did. He's a different kind of master, right? He's a different kind of master. The truth is, we are all slaves to something. We get to give our life to something. We all do it. Lots of people try to fill their life. They give their life, and they end up addicted. They end up uh, going down all kinds of destructive paths. They find themselves addicted to people. They find themselves as slaves to people in relationships that are unhealthy. And Jesus comes and says, I've come so that you could have life and have it to the full. And in trading that, he said, he said, I came and I paid your debt. You had a debt that you could not pay. You enter into service to me and you will find a life that you could never imagine. Are we free in Jesus? Yes. Are we slaves at the same time to Jesus? If we submit to that, we're slaves to something. Well, Paul is using this as a metaphor to get to something deeper, I think. He says in Colossians 3.24, he says, when, when you walk with Jesus, when you live as Jesus would call you to do, he said, you can do it in verse 324. He says, knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the inheritance as your reward. What's the inheritance? It's Jesus himself. Right? That we get to become sons and daughters of the king. That we get to enter a relationship with the king. And someday, like, we'll continue to live with him forever in his fully established kingdom. It's not just heaven. Like, someday my inheritance is heaven. The inheritance begins when I become a son. I'm brought into relationship with Jesus. And so heaven isn't just like, I want Jesus so I get heaven. Right? I want Jesus because I get Jesus. Because I get to be me. Because I get to be free. Because he breathes life into me. I get to, I get to bow before that. I, I love that. Paul says, Paul says, um, actually in 1 Corinthians 7.21, he says, if you can get free, get free. Right? Speaking to the slave, speaking to the bondservant, he says, if there's an opportunity for your freedom, take it. Take it. But if you can't, if there is no way to do that, I want you to live uh, upright. And he, um, the whole book of Philemon is just one chapter. Philemon is this conversation where Paul has a relationship with Onesimus, who shows up 
at the end of uh, Colossians, Paul has a friend in Onesimus who is a runaway slave. And Paul looks Onesimus in the eye and says, we, we got to go back and talk to your master about this. You are equal. I see you as a peer. I see you as a brother. I don't see you as property. But I want you to go back because there's more at stake. Because if you just run away, if you just run away, the master doesn't get a chance to see what's going on, to see the deeper thing. And Paul says, I want you to go back and I want you to carry this letter from me. And Paul writes a letter to Philemon, who is the master, and he says, I want you to receive Onesimus back. I don't want you to punish him because of what he did. I want you to receive him as a brother. You're a, you're a Christian. And I want you to receive him as a brother. And then I want you to release him. And if you're out any money, Paul says, if releasing him causes you economic hardship, charge it to me. Which is really sneaky, borderline manipulative, passive aggressive way of Paul to handle this. Because Paul's in prison, right? So he talks to the master and he says, Philemon, if you're out money, charge me. Are you the kind of man who's going to charge a guy who's sitting in prison? No? Okay, then just let him be. Then just free him to live a life following Christ that God called him to. See him as a brother and let him be. Well, Paul is undercutting the system. But what he's doing by undercutting the system is he's bringing value to the slave and he's, he's giving masters an opportunity to engage in love, engage in following Christ for real. He's not demanding it, which I think he could. He's saying, I want you to see it this way. So Justin and I, was ta- Justin and I were talking. Justin said he found something um, in history annals that said by, by about 300 A.D., um, basically this whole idea of indentured slavery was being cast off, that the church was saying, we're done with this. Because of what Paul is doing, because of the way God is moving, we're kind of done with it. When I asked Justin where he found it, he couldn't find it again. Um, so I'm putting it in there as a, like an asterisk footnote. That might be true. I hope it's true. That'd be a nice kind of story in the tales of history. It would be neat to follow that trajectory to see this kind of go away. But Paul is undercutting it. And Paul says, this system is messed up. Jesus actually came when Jesus showed up in Luke 4 and he says the year of Jubilee is at hand. Jubilee was this Old Testament deal that never, never actually came in because people couldn't follow God for 50 years. And Jesus says uh, the Old Testament is like after 50 years, if you're still in debt, you're free. And all the land that you had to sell off comes back to you. And you're a landowner again. And it was this cycle that God wanted to set up to say, if you have to put yourself in service to somebody, okay, but know that freedom is coming. Jubilee is coming. And when Jesus inaugurates his ministry in Luke 4, he says the year of Jubilee is here. Jubilee is here. Freedom is here. And I'm I'm proclaiming freedom for the captives. Jesus sets something in motion that Paul uh, comes alongside and he says, We need to follow Christ and do this. If you're a slave, follow Jesus where you are. 
follow Jesus where you are. Following Jesus doesn't give you permission um, to be a jerk, no matter where you are. Paul says, serve, not just like as an eye pleaser. That is to say, is my master looking at me? I'm going to work real hard. When he looks away, I'm going to, you know, give him a gesture. Paul says, work hard and do it for the Lord. It's a challenge with honor and with value that Paul is speaking to these uh, people about. Now, when we're called slaves to God, we look at Jesus and we say, what's going on here? Jesus, Jesus, our Lord and our Master, in Matthew 20, he says, now you know how the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over. He says, it's not going to be so with you. Like this whole system is messed up. It's not going to be like this with you. He said, instead, whoever wants to be greatest among you must be the least. And whoever wants to be first must be a slave to all. And he says, just as I came to serve. Jesus is calling himself a servant. So our master is a servant. That's pretty astounding to me. And we're called to become a servant of the master in freedom. Jesus says, I came, I came to serve. And in serving you, I paid your debt so that you're free. That's, that is the word to slaves here. So today, we don't have indentured servanthood, right? The closest thing that we can do to that is work. Like, you have student loans you're paying off. You have a debt that you're paying. So you put yourself in service and you show up every day at the time and you work. And if your master tells you to do something or your boss tells you to do something, you do it. And Paul says, not just I service. Like, don't just be a good worker when they're watching you. Be a good worker because you're working for Christ. Because he's your master. And work. Whatever you do, do it as a representative. Our bosses should see in us people who work well. Especially if they know that we're Christians. Not people looking for shortcuts. Not people who are uh, begrudgingly there. Like, we don't have to love our job. But we, we serve faithfully, right? That's the closest thing. That's not a one-to-one tie. That's even kind of a stretch to apply it that way. But that's the closest I think we can get. And then Paul says, I'm not done. I have a word for masters. And in the same way that Paul talked to husbands after talking to wives, to esteem women, to raise women up, to give value to wives where they have seen by the culture as property. And he says, nope, 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 equal. And we can have different roles, but we're equal and they edify. Paul, in the same way, says, now just as I've spoken to slaves, in an edifying, giving value kind of way, I'm going to speak a word to masters. You have the cultural right to be harsh. Not as a Christian, you don't. 
And Paul says in 4.1, Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you have a master in heaven. So justice and fairness, those sound like those are characteristics of God. Yeah. Is God just? Yeah. Is he fair? You might argue he's more than fair. Like in welcoming any of us, that's not giving us what is fair, right? Um, God is a God of justice. He says, if you're a master, if you are looking over somebody, you better act with justice. So masters treat them well. Because they're equal in Christ, because they're not property, you treat them well. You treat them as brothers. Masters treat them well because you yourself are a slave to God. You yourself have a master in heaven. So how do you want your master to treat you? Act act accordingly. It's not like God is just waiting to zap them. But if we treat people a certain way and then expect God to treat us differently, then something's messed up in us, right? Jesus tells this parable of the unforgiving servant who's forgiven, and then he goes out and he doesn't forgive. And then his master comes back and says, that is, nope, that's not what I had in mind. And God is the same way. The way that he treats us is the way he expects us to treat others. So the question for us is, how do you lead? How do you lead? Are you a boss? Are you a supervisor? Are you a manager of anybody? How do you lead? Are you a pastor? And what, what rules govern the way you operate in that uh, place? How, where do you have authority? And how do you use it? Matthew 20, Jesus says, the world has a top-down approach to leadership. I'm here. I've climbed the ladder. You're here to serve me. And Jesus says, whoop. The leader is meant to serve. So if you're a boss, you look at your employees as people whom you can serve. People who you could give an edifying job to, that you could pay them well, that you could give them value, not just as people who would submit to you and obey you and then are there to do whatever you say. If you're a small group leader, a community group leader, it's not that you get to be the boss or you get to be like the wise sage. You're like, yes, come to me and I'll give you all the answers. You're there to be a servant to people in your group. You're to serve them and to take care of them. In whatever, you, in whatever place you find yourself in authority, you use that to serve. Paul comes back and he says, because we want the peace of Christ to rule. Because we want the peace of Christ to rule. We serve a master who laid down his life and bought our freedom. I think we lead and follow under those terms. Let's pray. Jesus, would you help us to continually give our lives in service to you. To continually see you as our master, not just our closest friend, not just our ally, but as our master. Would you instill in us a deep, deep respect 
for you and what you want and would you work in us obedience to you because it gives life because you are just and you are fair and you treat us so much better than we deserve would you make us people who represent you well in the hard times in the hard service in the authority we've been given would you help us to reflect you Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.